Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living A Course in Miracles. This is Season 5, and it's called The Book Club. We're on Chapter 17. Welcome back. The truth is a tricky thing in this world. Our concept of truth is so misguided and confused. We mistakenly think that this world has truth. The truth we need to discover is not found here. It becomes a perception of this world not being real, and true reality is found with God in eternity. I personally feel find comfort in knowing that this world has no truth. I can see this world as a teaching ground, a place for us to discover our purpose and why we are here. The holy instant is a quiet zone, and if practiced consistently, does occur as a permanent state. It allows us to let go of judgment because we are not thinking about the past. Therefore, no comparison is made. We begin to accept everyone for who they are, not what we think they should be. We are no longer bothered by others' perception of us as we then know that their perception is what they think of themselves, not us. We let go of the burden of accepting what other people say or believe as anything but about them and their journey not ours. We can wish them love and peace, then let it go. Today, we will finish up the last two sections of chapter 16, because I didn't get to finish that because of my voice problem, um, and then launch into chapter 17, which is called Forgiveness and the Holy Relationship. And we'll cover bringing fantasy to truth, the forgiven world, and shadows of the past. So let's begin. I am in my book. I'm on page 345 in chapter 16, and it's called The Bridge to the Real World. Paragraph one starts like this. The search for the special relationship is the sign that you equate yourself with the ego and not with God. For the special relationship has value only to the ego. To the ego, unless a relationship has special value, it has no meaning, for it perceives all love as special. Paragraph two, love is freedom. To look for it by placing yourself in bondage is to separate yourself from it. For the love of God, no longer seek for union in separation, nor for freedom in bondage. As you release, you will be released. Forget this not, or love will be unable to find you and comfort you. So this is interesting, talking about special relationships and talking about this kind of love connection. I get a lot of people who say to me, they don't really understand this, or they think this doesn't make any sense. But if you think about the fact that when you create a special relationship and you make that love bond, and you say that that person, I love this person more than that person, you instantly set yourself up for pain and suffering. Because when the person you've put in that special role leaves you through... Yeah, you know, either leaving or passing on or whatever, you're going to experience pain and suffering. But perfect love, the true love that God feels, doesn't experience any of that. So that's where a special relationship or special love relationship comes in here. And that's what he's they're trying to explain. Paragraph three says, there is a way in which the Holy Spirit asks your help if you would have his. The holy instant is his most powerful, or sorry, helpful aid, I said powerful because I feel it's powerful, in protecting you from the attraction of guilt, the lure in the special relationship. 
paragraph four of the special relationship is totally meaningless without a body, right? We attach it and equate it with a body. If you value it, you must also value the body and what you value, you will keep. This special relationship is a device for limiting yourself to a body and for limiting your perception of others to their bodies, to theirs. Paragraph five says, you see the world you value. On this side of the bridge, you see the world of separate bodies, seeking to join each one in a separate unions and to become one by losing. When two individuals seek to become one, they are trying to decrease their magnitude. Each would deny their power for the separation, for the separate union excludes the universe. Sentence six says, if one such union were made in perfect faith, the universe would enter into it. Yet the special relationship the ego seeks does not include, next page, just page 346, does not include even one whole individual. The ego puts but part of him and sees only his part and nothing else. Paragraph seven says, across the bridge, it is so different. For a time, the body is still seen, but not exclusively as it is seen here. The little spark that holds the great rays within it is also visible, and this sparks cannot be limited long to littleness. Once you have crossed the bridge, the value of the body is so diminished in your sight that you will see no need at all to magnify it. For you will realize that the only value the body has is to enable you to bring your brothers to the bridge with you and to be released together there. Paragraph seven says the bridge itself is nothing more than a transition in the perspective of reality. On this side, everything you see is grossly distorted and completely out of perspective. What is little and insignificant is magnified and what is strong and powerful cut down to littleness. In the transition, there is a period of confusion in which a sense of actual disorientation may occur. But fear it not, for it means only that you have been willing to let go your hold on the distorted frame of reference that seems to hold your world together. This frame of reference is built around the special relationship. Without the illusion, there could be no meaning you would still seek here. Paragraph eight says, fear not that you will be abruptly lifted and hurled into reality. Time is kind. And if you use it on behalf of reality, it will keep gentle pace with you in your transition. The urgency is only in dislodging your mind from its fixed position here. This will not leave you homeless and without a frame of reference. The period of disorientation which precedes the actual transition is far shorter than the time it took to fix your mind so firmly on illusions. Paragraph nine, nothing you seek to strengthen in the special relationship is really part of you. And you cannot keep part of the thought system that taught you it was real and understand the thought that knows what you are. You have allowed the thought of your reality to enter your mind and because you invited it in, it will abide with you. Your love for it will not allow you to betray yourself and you could not enter into a relationship where it could not go with you for you would not want to be apart from it. That's uh, paragraph nine. Now the next page, paragraph 11 says, the new perspective you will gain from crossing over will be the understanding of where heaven is. From this side, it seems to be outside and across the bridge. Yet as you cross, 
to join it, it will join with you and become one with you. And you will think in glad astonishment for that for all this, you gave up nothing. The joy of heaven, which has no limit, is increased with each light that returns to take its rightful place within. Wait no longer for the love of God and you, and may the holy instant speed you on your way, as it will surely do if you but let it come to you. Paragraph 12 says, the Holy Spirit asks only this little help of you. Whenever your thoughts wander to a special relationship which still attracts you, enter with him into a holy instant and there let him release you. He needs only your willingness to share his perspective to give it to you completely. And your willingness need not be complete because his is perfect. So that is that section, which is fairly big, the bridge to the real world. So the bridge they're talking about isn't, uh, I, I know in the past people have said to me, is this saying that when we pass, that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about in this lifetime, crossing that bridge, letting go of this attachment to things that our body attach and looking, stop looking at bodies as something that you should attach to and have attachment to. And when you release that and you let all that go, and then you start to see a bigger picture, right? You start to see spirits instead of bodies. You start to see connections instead of personalities. Then that's when you'll feel that connection. That's when you'll feel a, a piece of heaven come into you and you'll feel that you have a different, yeah, different feeling to you. It's a, I'm going to say lightness. That's the best word I have for it. Not just with the which the visual of light, but just that feeling that I no longer hold any burdens of anything because I don't hold any judgments. I don't hold guilt. I don't hold judgment. I don't hold any of that. So I feel like I could float away some days because I don't do that anymore. I once did, but I've let that go. And every one of us can do that. It's not anything special of one individual over another. We all have the ability to do that. It's our determination to want that to happen. That's the difference. The next section is called the end of illusions. It is impossible. Paragraph one says it is impossible to let go, let the past go without relinquishing the special relationship for the special relationship is an attempt to reenact the past and change it. Imagine slights, remembered pain, past disappointments, perceived injustices, and deprivations all enter into the special relationship, which becomes a way, next page, in which you seek to restore your wounded self-esteem. Paragraph two on page two, sorry, 348 says, the special relationship takes vigilance on the past by seeking to remove suffering in the past, it overlooks the present in its preoccupation with the past and its total commitment to it. No special relationship is experienced in the present. Shades of the past envelope it and make it what it is. It has no meaning in the present. And if it means nothing now, it cannot have any real meaning at all. How can you change the past except in fantasy? And who can give you what you think the past deprived you of? The past is nothing. Do not seek to lay blame for deprivation on it, for the past is gone. You cannot really not let go what is already gone. It must be, therefore, that you are maintaining the illusion that it has not gone because you think it serves some purpose that you want fulfilled. 
And it must also be that this purpose could not be fulfilled in the present, but only in the past. Paragraph four near the bottom says the past is gone. Seek not to preserve it in the special relationship that binds you to it and would teach you salvation is past. And so you must return to the past to find salvation. There is no fantasy that does not contain the dream of retribution for the past. Would you act out the dream or let it go? Paragraph five of the last sentence at the bottom there, sentence three says, yet the one thing the ego never allows to reach awareness, next page, is that the special relationship is the act out of vengeance on yourself. Yet what else could it be? In seeking this special relationship, you look not for glory in yourself. You have denied that it is there and the relationship becomes your substitute for it. That's a very good point, actually, this makes, because when you make something special, it's because you feel you lack something. So that person becomes a special thing or special person to you um, that you put all of your hopes and dreams into. Well, that is definitely setting yourself up, isn't it? Because if you don't have it to begin with, why would you ever put the burden of someone else having it for you on them? And that's what we do with special relationships. And vengeance becomes your special, your substitute for atonement and the escape from vengeance becomes your loss. Paragraph six says, against the ego's insane notion of salvation, the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit gently lays the holy instant. Sentence four in that same paragraph says, in the holy instant, it is understood that the past is gone. And with its passing, the drive for vengeance has been uprooted and has disappeared. The stillness and the peace of now enfolds you in perfect gentleness. Everything is gone except the truth. Paragraph seven, sentence three says, in the holy instant, the power of the Holy Spirit will prevail because you joined him. The illusions you bring with you will weaken the experience of him for a while and will prevent you from keeping the experience in your mind. Yet the holy instant is eternal and your illusion of time will not prevent the timeless from being what it is, nor you from experiencing it as it is. Paragraph nine there, the bottom of that page says, there is nothing you can hold against reality. All that must be forgiven are the illusions you have held against your brothers. Their reality has no past and only illusions can be forgiven. Sentence five says, release your brothers from the slavery of their illusions by forgiving them for the illusions you perceive in them. Thus will you learn that you have been forgiven for it is you, next page, who offered them illusions. In the holy instant, this is done for you in time to bring you the true condition of heaven. Paragraph 11 says, seek and find his message in the holy instant where all the illusions are forgiven. From there, the miracle extends to bless everyone and to resolve all problems. Be, there, be they perceived as great or small, possible or impossible. There is nothing that will not give place to him and to his majesty. To join in close relationship with him is to accept relationships as real and though their reality, oh sorry, and through their reality, 
to give over all illusion for the reality of your relationship with God. Praise be to your relationship with him and to no other. The truth lies there and nowhere else. You choose this or nothing. And there's a little um, prayer right here that says, forgive us our illusions, Father, and help us to accept our true relationship with you in which there are no illusions and where no one or none can enter, even enter. Our holiness is yours. What can there be in us that needs forgiveness when yours is perfect? The sleep of forgetfulness is is only the unwillingness to remember your forgiveness and your love. Let us not wander into temptation for the temptation of the Son of God is not your will. And let us receive only what you have given and accept this into the minds which you created and which you love. Amen. So that is chapter 16 finished. And that is lovely. So that last um, part, which is the end of illusions, is trying to get us to put our mind around living in this moment and letting the past be exactly what it is. The past, it's over, it's gone. Holding on to any um, ill feelings or any grudges or any pain or suffering is just hurting you. That's all it's hurting. And if that's what you're into, well, that's all you're going to get. You're going to get pain and suffering. But if you want that gone, it just takes an instant to let it go and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's over. I don't believe in it anymore. I'm not buying into it anymore. And it's not who I am anymore. And let it go. So the next chapter, which is forgiveness and the holy relationships, because we have to understand that our relationships are holy, not special. So that's what um, Christ wants us to learn is about holy relationships. So this first section, purse, I don't know where I was getting that from, first section is bringing fantasy to truth. So paragraph one starts like this. Actually, I'm going to read the whole paragraph. The betrayal of the Son of God lies only in illusions, and all his sins are but his own imagining. His reality is forever sinless. He never, nope, he need not be forgiven, but awaken. In his dreams, he has betrayed himself, his brothers, and his God. Yet what is done is in dreams has not been really done. It is impossible to conceive the dreamer that this is so convince this, sorry, convince the dreamer that this is so. For dreams are what they are because of their illusion of reality. Only in waking is the full release from them. For only then does it become perfectly apparent that they had no effect upon reality at all and did not change it. Fantasies change reality. That is their purpose. They cannot do so in reality, but they can do so in the mind that would have reality be different. And just for this section, just to let you know, when we're talking about, when they're talking about a dreamer and they're talking about us not awake in this world, us seeing this world as real, seeing this world as truthful. And that's when we wake up is when we realize that this is not anything but a dream. This is something we created. This isn't real. This isn't what God created. We're not sinners. We're here on a journey. We're here to discover things. We're here to learn. We make errors. We make mistakes. Absolutely. But we do not 
have the ability to make sin. That's an important point. Paragraph three, sentence two says, you believe truth cannot deal with them only because you would keep them from truth. Very simply, your lack of faith in the power that heals all pain arises from your wish to retain some aspect of reality for fantasy. If you are, if you but realize what this must do to your appreciation of the whole, what you reserve for yourself, you take away from him who would release you. Paragraph four says, as long as you would have it so, so long would the illusion of an order of difficulty and miracles remain for you. For you have established this order in reality by giving some of it to one teacher and some of it to another. And so you learn to deal with part of truth in one way and in another way, the other part. Next page. Paragraph five Sentence two says, truth has no meaning in illusion. The frame of reference for its meaning must be itself. When you try to bring truth to illusions, you are trying to make illusions real and keep them by justifying your belief in them. But to give illusions to truth is to enable truth to teach the illusions, teach that the illusions are unreal and thus enable you to escape from them. Reserve not one idea aside from truth or you establish orders of reality that must imprison you. There is no order in reality because everything there is true. And paragraph six says, be willing then to give all you have held outside the truth to him who knows the truth and in whom all is brought to truth. Salvation from separation would be complete or will not be at all. Be not concerned with anything except your willingness to have this be accomplished. He will accomplish it, not you, but forget, but forget not this. <laughs> so not, don't forget this. When you become disturbed and lose your peace of mind because another is attempting to solve his problems through fantasy, you're refusing to forgive yourself for just this same attempt and you are holding both of you away from the truth and from salvation. As you forgive him, you restore the truth, what was denied by both of you, and you will see forgiveness where you have given it. Ah, That's very important. So that last section is really important. Uh, paragraph six, read that over again, um, because it really explains to you, explains to us that truth is, is all is available to all of us if we accept it, if we hand it over to the Holy Spirit to take what we think is real and change it. So it's really just a willingness. So it goes back to free will. You know, God says, I'm going to let you do and be whatever you want. And I will always be there for you. But whatever you choose, if you choose pain and suffering, that's your choice. I'm not going to take that away from you because you chose it. This is saying, choose the other, choose opposite. Give it all up to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit take it away from you. Make that your free will. The Forgiven World is the next section on page 352 of my book. 
Paragraph one says, can you imagine how beautiful those who forgive, those you forgive will look at you? In no fantasy have you ever seen anything so lovely. Nothing you see here, sleeping or waking, comes near to such loveliness. Sentence seven says, you will behold the beauty the Holy Spirit loves to look upon and which he thanks the Father for. He is created, he was created to see this for you until you learn to see it for yourself. And all his teachings lead to seeing it and giving thanks with him. Paragraph two says, this loveliness is not a fantasy. It is the real world, bright and clean and new with everything sparkling under the open sun. Nothing's hidden here for everything has been forgiven and there are no fantasies to hide the truth. The bridge between the world and this is so little and so easy to cross that you could not believe it is the meeting place of worlds so different. Yet this little bridge is the strongest thing that touches on this world at all. This little step, so small, it has escaped your notice, is a stride through time into eternity, beyond all ugliness into beauty that will enchant you and will never cease to cause you wonderment at its perfection. Paragraph three says this step, the smallest ever taken, is still the greatest accomplishment of all in God's plan of atonement. All else is learned, but this is given, complete and wholly perfect. No one but him who planned salvation could complete it thus. The real world in its loveliness you learn to reach, or yeah, you learn to reach. Fantasies are all undone, and no one and nothing remains still bound by them. And by your own forgiveness, you are free to see. Yet what you see is only what you made with the blessing of your forgiveness on it. And with this blessing of God's son upon himself, the real perception born of the new perspective he has learned has served its purpose. Paragraph five says the real world is attained simply by the complete forgiveness of the old. The world you see without forgiveness, the great transformer of perception, will undertake with you the careful searching of the mind that made this world and uncover to you the seeming reasons for your making it. Next page, which is page 354 of the top paragraph six says, all this beauty will rise to bless your sight as you look upon the world with forgiving eyes. For forgiveness literally transforms vision and lets you see the real world reaching quietly and gently across chaos, removing all illusions that have twisted your perception and fixed it on the past. The smallest leaf becomes the thing of wonderment and a blade of grass is a sign of God's perfection. Paragraph seven says, from the forgiven world, the son of God is lifted easily into his home. And there he knows that he is always rested there in peace. Even salvation will become a dream and vanish from his mind. For salvation is the end of dreams. And with the closing of the dream, there will be no meaning. Who awake in heaven could dream that they could ever be need of salvation. So that is um, the last part of um, the forgiven world. So again, stressing to us that forgiveness, and it really, it really is forgiveness of ourselves. It's letting go of the past and forgiving 
ourselves for holding on to it and thinking that it was real and letting go of the future that hasn't even happened yet and all the worries we carry with us and all the planning we make that we can never guarantee will happen and saying, I'm going to let that go. And the only moment I'm going to live in is right now, this moment, because this is the only moment I have. This is the only moment I can control. And this is the only moment I can live in and live in this moment. So the last section I have for today is called the shadows of the past on page 354. Paragraph one says to forgive is merely to remember only the loving thoughts you gave in the past and those that were given you. All the rest must be forgotten. Forgiveness is a selective remembering based not on your selection. Sentence seven says, because you bring them, you will hear them. And you who keep them by your own selection do not understand how they came into your mind and what their purpose is. They represent the evil that you think was done to you. You bring them with you only that you may return evil for evil, hoping that their witness will enable you to think guiltily of another and not harm yourself. Next page, which is page 355. Uh, Paragraph two, sentence two says, the shadow figures always speak for vengeance and all relationships into which they enter are totally insane without exception. These relationships have as their purpose, the exclusion of the truth about the other and of yourself. This is why you see in both what is not there and make of both the slaves of vengeance. Sentence six, a little further down says, and finally, why all such relationships becomes attempts at union through the body for only bodies can be seen as means for vengeance, that bodies are central to all unholy relationships is evident. Your own experience has taught you this, but what you may not realize are all the reasons that go to make the relationship unholy for unholiness seeks to reinforce itself as holiness does by gathering to itself what is perceived as like itself. So this is really important because it's saying the attachment to the body is because you are attaching what you think you should be or relationship should be to another body and not what it is. You're making it into what you want it. And that's where all the trouble begins because, and that's where we make it special because we try to turn it into something we want or an illusion of something we want. Paragraph four says time is indeed unkind to the whole unholy relationship for time is cruel in the ego's hands as it is kind when given used for gentleness. The attraction of the unholy relationship begins to fade and to be questioned almost at once. Once it is formed, doubt must enter in because its purpose is impossible. The ideal of the unholy relationship thus becomes one in which the reality of the other does not enter at all to spoil the dream. And the less the other really brings to the relationship, the better it becomes. Thus, the attempt at union becomes a way of excluding even the one with whom the union was sought for it was formed to get him out of it and join the fantasies in uninterrupted bliss. 
So that whole making of one, I always think this is really interesting because even in wedding ceremonies, we are saying, and you will join as one. And this book is saying, no, that's not what you should be doing. What you should be doing is you should be sharing your life as two individuals, understanding that the whole purpose of our existence is one and not one with just each other, because then that makes it special, right? I'm one with you, you're one with me. Ah, nobody else is in the deal. No, that's a special relationship. When you're one with each other and know that, that you extend be beyond yourself to everybody else you meet, then you're all one together. So it is very confusing the messages we give around um, particularly around marriages and those ceremonies. Sentence, so the next page, which is 350. Oh, I think I already did that, right? Look at that. Here I'm talking, and then I turned around and lost the page. Nope, this is right. I'm in the right place. Okay, at the top of the page, sentence two says, what forgiveness is enables him to do so. If all your loving thoughts have been forgotten, what remains is eternal. And the transformed past is made like the present. No longer does the past conflict with now. This continuity extends the present by increasing its reality and its value in your perception of it. In these loving thoughts is the spark of beauty hidden in the ugliness of the unholy relationship where hatred is remembered. Yet there, yet there to come alive, as the relationship is given to him who gives it life and beauty. That is why atonement centers on the past, which is the source of separation and where it must be undone for separation must be corrected where it was made. Paragraph six says the ego seeks to resolve the problems, its problems, not at its source, but where they were not made. And thus it seeks to guarantee there is no solution. The Holy Spirit wants only to make his resolutions complete and perfect. And so he seeks and finds the source of the problem where it is and where and there undoes it. Sentence six says, all he perceives in separation is that it must be undone. Let him uncover the hidden spark of beauty in your relationship and show it to you. Its loveliness will be will so attract you that you will be unwilling ever to lose the sight of it again. And you will let this spark transform the relationship so you can see it more and more. This is another important point about this section is that it's not saying that if you're in a love relationship that you should let it go. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, let the Holy Spirit transform that relationship into what it should be. And then you'll see your partner as the love that you want to see it without any um, judgments or, or attachments or any kind of feelings of um, insecurity or any of those negative emotions, because you're going to release that special relationship and turn it into a holy relationship, which it should be. Paragraph seven, sentence four says, the spark of holiness must be safe however hidden it may be in every relationship. For the creator of the one relationship has left no part of it without himself. This is the only part of the relationship that the Holy Spirit sees because he knows that only this is true. You have made the relationship unreal and therefore unholy by seeing it where it is not and as it is not. Give the past to him who can change your mind about it for you. But first, be sure you fully realize what you have made the past to represent and why. 
Next page, paragraph eight says, the past becomes the justification for entering into a continuing unholy alliance with the ego against the present for the present is forgiveness. Therefore the relationship, the relationships, the unholy alliance dictates are not perceived nor felt as now or in the past. Paragraph nine says it is still up to you to choose to join with truth or with illusions, your choice, free will. But remember that to choose one is to let go the other. Which one you choose, you will endow with beauty and reality because the choice depends on which you value more. And paragraph 10, the last paragraph says, the holy, sorry, my holy brother, I would enter into my relationships and step between you and your fantasies. Let my relationship to you be real to you and let me bring reality to your perception of your brother's. They were not created to enable you to hurt yourself through them. They were created to create with you. This is the truth that I would interpose between you and your goal of madness. Be not separate from me and let not the holy purpose of atonement be lost to you in dreams of vengeance. Relationships in which such dreams are cherished have excluded me. Let me enter in the name of God and bring you peace that you may offer peace to me. So that is the last I'm going to do for today, picking up at two pictures, and then we'll finish off chapter 17 in two weeks time. Okay, so, and then we'll end chapter 17 uh, in two weeks time as well and enter into chapter 18. Look at us moving along here. My online live book club is on Wednesday evenings, 7 p.m., Eastern Standard Time for anyone who might be interested. Um, There is no cost and all you have to do is email me to send you the link to show you how to join. Thanks for listening. I can be contacted by email at trifectanow3 at gmail.com. If you'd like to ask a question, share a comment, or even say hello, or get the connection to the Zoom link. Love to do that for anyone who wishes to be part of it. Keep sharing the love. Remember, this is our journey. Let us together find our way. Live in this moment. It's the only one that truly matters. Always love, Denise.